0: Hey, yeah, yeah, there we go. Good morning, all. Thank you for being with us and worshiping our Lord. Um, oh, I have my mask on. That's weird. That feels better. It's like something fell off, and then people were trying to slide me down. Um, great. Well, thank you for being here. Please turn with me. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, and specifically, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15:34. 34. Verse 34 is going to be our passage, but Uh, We'll read a little bit of the context. And I just want to start by saying, um, Scripture accomplishes many things, right? Scripture uh, doesn't just encourage us. Uh, Scripture is helpful, right? Uh, It's God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, for rebuking, uh, for correcting, for training in righteousness, right? So Scripture accomplishes a lot of different things. And so preaching ought to do the same thing, okay? Preaching shouldn't always be just encouraging us, shouldn't always just be even though it does, right, because God's word encourages us. But sometimes it will seek to correct error. Sometimes it will seek to instruct us and give us knowledge. Well, this morning um, I will be preaching against a sin, against one of your sins, church, and that is the sin of apathy, okay? So I will be preaching against your apathy. Um, and if you ask why, why, why would I preach against your apathy? Well, church, um, the reality is that you have lost sight of what is most important, your love for your Savior and the things of God in many of you has really grown cold. Okay, so in the new year, uh, I want to take this as an opportunity. You know, we all, from time to time, we all need wake-up calls, right? We all need wake-up calls. In our sin, if we leave it unchecked, like, we're just going to go the way that we want to go. And so from time to time, we need a wake-up call. And I hope that this morning, for some of you, this is the wake-up call that you need. Uh, that you've been sleeping, that you've been walking in drunken stupor, as we see in the passage. And so my hope is that this message will be a short exhortation uh, to get you away from being indifferent about the things of God and remind you truly what you're living for. So with that said, we're going to be um, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, we're going to... I'm in Romans, that's why. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm gonna We're going to read verses 12 through 19, and then 29 to 34, um, just so you can get an idea of the passage. But... Um, just so you know, I'm not really going to touch on much of the other passage. I'm not going to touch on what it means to be baptized on behalf of the dead. Okay? All, all that I'm going to tell you uh, is that what matters, what Paul is arguing for, is that Christians, um, you know, we, we, baptism basically does not make sense apart from the resurrection, okay? So um, we'll see here in just a second. So um, let's read, um, and then we'll pray. So First Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Then turn with me, verse 29 uh, to 34. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Here's where we're going to spend the chunk of our time here this morning. Verse 34. Wake up! from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would do something that only you can do, Uh, and Father, this this morning I ask that you would open uh, our eyes, Father, that we would recognize our condition uh, that we find ourselves in. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for treating the things of you lightly. Father, for prioritizing things that are earthly as opposed to eternal. Father, help us to have heavenly eyes that look to you. Lord, we have lost sight. We have lost our way. Um, and so I ask, Father, that you would do a good work in us to help us to not be the same. Lord, wake us up. Change our hearts. Change our attitudes. May we seek to live and to be humble and to walk rightly before you. So I just ask that you would open our eyes and ears to hear from you, and that this uh, your word would be a fruit this morning. So I just pray, Father, that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, quickly context. Okay, First Corinthians fifteen, um, Paul is giving an exposition of the gospel, right, especially as it relates to the resurrection of the dead. Uh, so, verses 1 through 11, that passage is not going to go through them. Uh, verses 1 through 11, if you want to get a picture of where we are, um, Paul is giving an exposition of the gospel and saying, verse 3, um, I have delivered to you, as some, to you as of first importance what I also received. Okay, the gospel is of first importance. That is foremost. That is the most important. That is what Paul is arguing for. But then he turns to, verse, in verse 12, he, then, he doesn't switch gears. He talks about the resurrection of the dead. Why does he talk about the resurrection of the dead? Well, there is an error in the church at the a moment. People were saying that there was really that the, that the dead were not raised. Okay, that there was no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. So why would Paul argue um, against them? Well, one, it's wrong. Okay, and Paul and Scripture corrects us when we're wrong. It corrects error. And two, apart from the resurrection, we do not have a gospel. Okay, he's insisting on the gospel. It's the first importance. But what is the gospel? Is that Jesus came. He lived a perfect life, and he died, okay? He died for those who would trust in him, but that doesn't stop there, okay? And then he was raised, okay? That is part of the gospel that we believe. And so if there is no resurrection, then there is no gospel, okay? So Paul is insisting on that. He corrects an error in the church uh, because some are living as if there is no resurrection of the dead. They're just living as if, you know, today, what is the verse um, 32, right? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, okay? That's it. This life is all that matters. That's how they're living. When he sees them, he sees them that they have no priorities of eternal things. And so Paul, again, is talking to people who are living as if this is all there is. This is all we have. People are living as if there's nothing at stake for all of eternity. Now, question is, how is this true for you? Okay? If others saw your life, would they say this about you? If they saw what you prioritized, what you gave your life to, would they think that you're living for this life only, or for the life to come. So, for people who are in this condition, Paul is giving two commands. Okay, verse 34, he gives us two commands. The two commands are, wake up. First, the thing we see, wake up from your drunken stupor. That's just right. And the second one is, and do not go on sinning. Okay, so two commands. First one, let's look at, wake up from your drunken stupor. So, wake up is what Paul is telling them to do. Now, when someone um, lives for this life only, It's so easy to lose sight of the things of God, right? And Paul recognizes that in the church, okay, in the church, not just in the world, in the church, there are some who, in a sense, have fallen asleep to the things of God. Why? Because if this life is all that matters, right, their efforts are going to be consumed with earthly things, right, pursuits of this life, how they can get pleasure, how they can get comfort, money, self-preservation, all of these things take priority instead of God if this is all there is. Okay, these people have lost interest in the beauty of Christ and of the responsibilities before him. So, church, how does this describe you specifically? How does it describe you? Is your life so consumed by the things of the world that you have neglected God in your daily walk? Are you really living as if there is no resurrection of the dead? Does eternity not even play a role? Okay, when you wake up, that doesn't even play a role in your mind. Okay, this is you, church. This is why I'm preaching this passage, because this is you, and I want you to wake up. So I want you to hear this, especially if you're here sitting, standing, tuning in online. Okay, if you're hearing this and you think, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. This is especially for you. Okay. What does God have to say to you this morning? Wake up. Wake up from your drunken stupor. This is right. Come out, okay, come out of your state of apathy. Open your eyes to see how you have abandoned the Lord. God here is calling you, okay, wake up, return to me. I am here for you. I'm ready to receive you because the state that you're in is not good, okay? It is not good. It is a sin. Many of you, in fact, I would say you're asleep to the things of God, but it's not like you're not sharp. Okay? a lot of you are very sharp, very smart you're very aware of the things around you of the things that matter to you you are very knowledgeable in those things okay? you are very aware but you have lost sight of what's most important the ESV actually illustrates it really well right? so our passage is, reads um, verse 34 wake up from your drunken stupor as is right Drunk and stupor. Stupor, I I don't even know how to say that word rightly, so just excuse me. Um, What is it? But what does that word mean? It's a state of reduced sensibility or consciousness, right? So it's when you have less consciousness of what you're doing, reduced sensibility, okay? And so it it illustrates it really well because a lot of you really are living like you're drunk, okay? How so? How so? Maybe you're not abusing alcohol, per se, uh, but in a sense, the effects are the same, okay? How does a drunk man act? When someone gets drunk, how do they act? they act like nothing matters, right? They can just live and do whatever they want. There are no consequences. Tonight, we're just going to do whatever we want, enjoy life, live it to the fullest, and it doesn't matter, okay? Why do men get drunk, okay? Why do people get drunk? Often it's because they want to forget the responsibilities, right? The things of this life are so overbearing that they just want to say, I just want to get out of it. And I just want to go to this place where nothing matters, just what I'm doing right now. And many of you are doing just that, Many of you are living as if you're drunk. You're acting like nothing matters. You're oblivious to the consequences of your actions. You act like you can just coast through life and just forget all your responsibilities. And sadly, some of you have forsaken that responsibility to God first and foremost. Like a drunk man who only cares how much much fun he's having, you're living for the things of the earth and not for holy things. This is what Calvin says about this specific command in verse 34 John Calvin says as he saw as Paul, asked, Paul saw that the Corinthians were in a manner intoxicated through excessive carelessness he arouses them from their ter- torpor okay mental inactivity kind of their apathy okay see he arises them arouses them from their apathy by adding however the adverb righteously he intimates that he would have them wake up okay for they were sufficiently attentive and clear-sighted okay they were attentive they were clear-sighted as to their own affairs It wasn't like they were unaware of everything around them. Nay, more, There there can be no doubt that they congratulated themselves on their acuteness. But in the meantime, they were drowsy, where they ought most of all to have been on the watch. He says accordingly, awake righteously. That is, direct your mind and aim to things that are good and holy. Okay, our our world, we can see this, like, clearly all over the world. Like, our world is completely unaware of the things of God. Like, that's not hard to see. Um, You only have to look at the effects of COVID, right, after church, Um, in the church, right? So people would go to church, and then COVID hit, and obviously a lot of churches closed. They did different things to make it happen, and then when churches opened up, guess what? A lot of churches don't have people coming back. People, People got so used to either just tuning in online or just decided, hey, you know what? Church was good for a while, but... I'm going to go ahead and do something else on Sunday mornings, okay? Something happened, COVID came and hit, and then people are, we see that people are not going back to churches, people that we care for, family members are just forsaking church completely, okay? So we know that this happens in the world, but I want you to see this happens in our church too, okay? How many of us have been tempted to just say, hey, you know, don't really feel like going to church today, I'll just log into Zoom and do church over Zoom, okay? How many of us have been tempted by that, Okay? It lives in us. So what I want you to think about is how, okay? How does it live in you, specifically? It lives in us in different ways. How does it live in you? How are you asleep? In what ways are you indifferent about the things of God? Let me ask you some questions. Okay, how do you know if you're asleep? Well, the easiest way to tell, right, is if you're no longer delighting in the um, the things of God and the means of grace that God has given us. You've, if, if that's the case, you've likely been asleep to the things of God, okay? So ask yourself, when was the last time that you opened God's word with joy? Just like, I cannot wait to see and to find Christ in these pages and to see what he has to say to me, that I may know him more. When was the last time you turned to God's word with joy? Okay, if reading God's word is not a delight to you, then that's a problem. Okay, what about Prayer how wonderful that we can pray to our Heavenly Father, that we have an avenue to communicate with Him, that He wants to hear from us. And yet, how many of us just neglect this completely? Okay, We can't even give 10 minutes to prayer a day. It's shameful. It's shameful. It's bad when you're so consumed with your phone and your notifications that you're praying that you keep on getting distracted by the notifications of your film, right? It just shows your priorities. Okay, if you dread worshiping, if you dread coming to church, if you dread singing to the Lord, if you're like, well, I, I don't sing, you know, I don't sing, you have most likely deserted your first love, okay? All of this just reveals something that's happening in your heart, likely your apathy towards him, okay? A couple more. If you're discontent, if you're always just discontent, you're just someone that, like, is always, something's always wrong, something's always bad, like, you're, like... You're serving a good God, okay? This is what I want you to see. You're serving a good God. Why are you so discontent? Why are you so moody, okay? It's easy, of course, to be mopey all the time if all there is is this world, right? Life can suck. Life can go really badly. Our plans do not go as we planned them, okay? So if your hope is in this life only, of course you're going to be in a bad mood. But guess what? You're not living for this world. You're living for somebody else, and he will accomplish his purposes, okay? So have just a little bit more joy, church, okay? Don't be discontent. Act with joy. Live for joy that you're serving a God who will accomplish his purpose in you and in this world. Okay? So have faith. Let me touch again on prayer. Okay? I'm even going to say this for those of you and um, those of us in full-time ministry. Okay? This is even a big temptation to just neglect prayer. But I just want you to see this. Okay? Is your work really that important that you can neglect prayer? Think about Jesus. Okay? If you think that, think about Jesus. Was his work important here on earth? He had a limited time here on earth to work and to glorify the Father. And what did he prioritize? Okay, he did not go much time without prayer. He would go off on his own and pray in the middle of the night. Okay, What did he prioritize? Prayer in his ministry. So prioritize prayer in your ministry. Don't think that your work is more important than Jesus. And now let me talk specifically for a second to, um, to the men in our church, specifically to husbands, into fathers, right? Because as I was thinking of this passage, just a lot of us just kept coming to my mind. Okay, so I want to talk to you specifically. Husbands, fathers, we need to step it up, okay? We really do need to step it up. Some of you are just unaware of the spiritual condition of your family. You may be providing physically, right? And that's good. But you've made that your standard, right? That, that's it. For you, it's just like, well, I'm, prior, I'm, I'm providing. And that, that becomes it for you, Okay? when actually your family may be drowning in their sins. So do you know, okay, do you know how you need to help your family, how you can help your wife, how you can be teaching your children, okay? If your children are unruly, it is on you to discipline them, okay? It is your responsibility. And I know that being the leader in the home is a big weight, it's a big responsibility. And trust me, I get it. Like, I do not like responsibility. Like, half of this week, I was just trying to run away from all the responsibility I had. Okay, I get it. But don't run away from the things of God, okay? God has given them to you for a reason, for your good. So trust in him, okay? Some of you act like you can just be absent and you just do your own thing and then like, well, you know, I I hope they're doing okay. I hope it'll work out for them, you know? Don't be aloof, okay? God has called you to be present. So be an example to your family, especially to your children, okay? Especially to your children. If your children see you watching TV but they never see you opening up your Bible, what does that say, Okay, what does that say? If they see you and you don't prioritize church on Sunday mornings, don't, don't be surprised when they grow up and they neglect church too. Okay, you have a great responsibility ahead of you and we need to wake up. You've been asleep for, asleep for some time so I want you to open up your eyes before it's too late. Okay, your family needs you. So return. Okay, return to the service of God. And all of us. Okay, All of us. We need to wake up from our drunken stupor, as is right. Okay, this is what is right. This is what's pleasing to God. Second command. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. Do not go on sinning. Your apathy is a sin. Your apathy towards God is a sin. And what is your apathy leading to? What is your apathy leading you to? It's actually leading you to more and more sin. Okay, there's a principle in Scripture that uh, sin is always going to lead to more sin. Sin is always going to lead to more sin. Okay, well, So we're fools if we think that we can just, you know, okay, I'm going to sin, so I get kind of like, you know, get that over with, and now that's going to help me not to sin. No, sin is deceitful. It always wants more and more and more. And so if you're apathetic, right, if you're indifferent, if you don't care about the things of God, if you're just trying to get by without putting any work, then don't be surprised, right, if sin is rampant everywhere around you, in your own heart, in the lives of those around you. Sin lives in your heart. Sin lives in the walls of your home. Okay, so don't live as if it's not there. Your apathy is only going to lead to more sin and more misery. And so a Christian ought not to be passive against sin. We ought to be continually fighting it. Okay, and if you want to fight sin, first, address your apathy. Seek the Lord. Because sin is not a light thing. Okay? Sin will consume you. And So I want you to see the danger that it poses to your soul. And I think if we see that more clearly, we'll take action towards it. Okay? A Christian really will seek to put off sin. And so that means you have to be on guard. Okay? Wake up and stop sinning. Okay? Put off your sin. It means you have to care. Okay? Care about the things of God so that you may not sin. Let's keep working through our passage. Wake up from your drunken stupor, this is right, and do not go on sinning. Okay? You know what that means for you. Do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. Stop there. For some have no knowledge of God. This clause is connected right, to the first one. So wake up from your drunken stupor, this is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. How are these two connected? Okay? Why are you apathetic? Okay? Why are you asleep? Why are you sinning? The four here is causal. Okay, the four here is so That's what connects both of these. Um, Four, okay, four, think of four like a because, okay? So you are asleep, you're sinning in large part because you have no knowledge of who God is. Okay, you have no knowledge of who God is. Your ignorance of God is leading you to drunken stupor and to further sin. Okay, so if that's the condition that you find yourself in this morning, what can you do about it? What can you do about it? Well, in the sense, it's simple, right? Learn. Learn who God is. Okay, that is your call as Christians. Don't forget that. A lot of what I'm telling you, a lot of you already know. Okay? This is nothing new, but this is a reminder to wake up and do what you know that you're supposed to do. Learn, okay? Church, learn who God is. May that be our greatest desire as a Christian, okay? to know our Savior. We can, in fact, know our Savior. Did you know that? He is, we will never know him exhaustively, but we can know him truly. Okay, that is your privilege as a Christian to get to know him. The world does not know him, but you ought to. Do you? Do you know him? If you want to wake up, if you want to stop sinning, then remind yourself of who God is. Meditate on the gospel daily. Make this a goal, okay, if you're making new resolutions. Do not go a day without meditating on what Jesus has done for you, Okay? Let me illustrate it quickly. A soldier, right? In the middle of battle, the heated battle, in the worst of times, he keeps on fighting. Why? Why? Because he knows who he's fighting for, right? He remembers those at home. He knows I'm fighting for them, fighting for my family, for my loved ones. That is what fuels him to continue to fight. Okay, don't... The same way, church, if you forget who you're serving, who you're fighting for, it'll be so easy to lose track. So don't forget who you're serving. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, do you know God? Have you tasted just how good and awesome it can be to meditate on who he is? Okay, again, inexhaustible and yet wonderful. How wonderful can it be? Okay, I want you to, I, I, I don't know how to exhort you spur you in this, uh, so this is my attempt of trying, okay? I'm going to read you a quote uh, from a sermon from Jonathan Edwards, and I just hope it just whets your appetite just a little bit to be like, there is so much that I can learn about God. There is so much available to me in God's word, in so much good writing that I can actually truly know God. Okay, So I'm going to read this to you, and my hope is that it will just pur you on just a little bit to be like, yes, I actually do want to know God. I want to make that a greater priority than it already is. Okay, So Jonathan Edwards um, is from a sermon from Revelation 5, 5-6, and he titled it, the admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Christ Jesus. The admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Christ Jesus. Um, it's long. Um, you know, I don't actually know if he delivered it. You know, if you ever think that um, our messages are, are long, then you should you know read that one. This is like at least five times as big as this message that I'm giving you today. Okay, so think about stating through something like that when you're like, man, this is going long. Think. This is this is what I think people are used to it. So, the admirable conjunctions of diverse excellencies in Christ Jesus. So, in other words, in Christ, we have a variety of excellencies, right? He is he's just a variety of excellencies, and they all come together in one person, Jesus. Okay, so if you want to read it, I do encourage you, if you want to read it, uh, message me, send me an email, and I would love to send you a link or a PDF, okay? In this sermon, okay, he's going to expound the fact that Christ, in this verse, and throughout Scripture, he's portrayed as both a lamb... In a lion, okay, a lion and a lamb, lion and a lamb, the strength, okay, of a lion we see in Jesus, at the same time the meekness of a lamb are both found in Jesus, okay, so this is the quote, Edward says, thus Christ appear at the same time and in the same act as both a lion and a lamb, he appeared as a lamb in the hands of his cruel enemies, okay, as the lamb in the paw's. And between the devouring jaws of a roaring lion, yeah, he was a lamb, actually slain by this lion. And yet at the same time, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, he conquers and triumphs over Satan, destroying his own destroyer. Just as Samson did in the lion that roared upon him when uh, he ran him as he would a kid. And in nothing has Christ appeared, so much as a lion, in glorious strength, destroying his enemies, as when he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. In his greatest weakness, he was most strong. And when he suffered most from his enemies, he brought the greatest confusion on his enemies. We serve a wonderful God. There's so much that we can learn about God. He is a wonderful Savior beyond our full comprehension. So what steps are you taking to know him, to grow in your knowledge of him? And this will help you, right? This will actually help you. How so? This will help you to wake up. This will help you to stop on sinning. How so? Well, as you know God rightly, your reasons for sin will really diminish. Okay, your reasons for sin diminish. Isn't it true that sometimes sin looks so good throughout the week, and then you're meditating on it, you know, when we're about to have communion, and you're like, man, that was just terrible. Why, why would I ever want to do that, right? It just seems so heinous. Okay? We need to have that attitude throughout the week. Okay? Know, God, that your sins for sinners, sin might, might, might be diminished. Okay? A couple of examples. Are you envious? Are you envious? I almost preached on envy this uh, Sunday, but chose this, so we'll see. Maybe another time. But are you envious? Okay? Are you envious? Do you covet your, the others, your brothers, your sisters' possessions? Maybe their blessings? Maybe their giftings? Maybe their spouses? Okay, this is not uncommon. Uncommon, you know what I'm saying. When you envy, okay, when you're envy, when you're coveting things that are not, that are not yours, that are others, that God has given to others. Okay, what are you to do? You meditate on God's wisdom. Okay, God is full of wisdom. He is the source of all wisdom. Okay, and what does that mean? Okay, nothing escapes His sight, and He always does right. Okay, his, mes- his wisdom is immeasurable. He does not, does, so if that's true, does he not know what he's doing with you? Does he not know what he's doing with your condition? Okay, why he's giving them that and not you? Do you know better than God? Think about his wisdom. He knows exactly what you need. So trust him. Think of his wisdom when you're envious of what others have. Okay, are you foolish? Are you foolish? Are you pursuing earthly pre- pleasures that you ought not to seek? Example is laziness. Sexual morality, drunkenness. Okay, if these are your pursuits, then let your mind dwell on the fact that Christ is all satisfying. Okay, He is all satisfying. He is the source of everything that is good. Anything that we have taken delight in that is good and that is pleasing to our soul is of God. Okay, so why? Okay, when you're meditating on that, that Christ is all satisfying, and you come to see Him and know Him and experience the fact that he satisfies your soul, why then would you settle for lesser pleasures? Okay, he offers, he's offering you life, life abundant, joyful life, without any guilt of sin. Why choose any other path? Thirdly, are you living in apathy? Okay, apathy, what we're talking about this morning. If that's true, if you found yourself just getting carried away by the things of this world, then let your thoughts be full of the magnitude of God's glory. Okay, his glory is so great that the earth and the heavens cannot contain it. Its radiance is greater than that of the sun. Okay, you cannot behold the fullness of God's glory and live. That is how great his glory is. And so when you meditate and you think of that, how can you be so cold and indifferent? When this is the God that you're serving, Lift up your eyes. See that a life lived for God is to be able to desire more than all eternity, more than all riches, more than the praise of man, more than a lasting legacy. Okay, You're pursuing something better because God is glorious. All of it that we pursue on this earth, everything will fade away, but God's kingdom will not. You have the greatest mission that anyone could ever be given, so why are you so indifferent about it? As if it doesn't matter. Moms, why why does it seem like, why do you... Assume that your job with the kids is not important. No, don't live in apathy to the responsibilities God has given you. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given you a great responsibility. Okay, So act and live like it. I don't want it to be said of any of us, church, that we don't know who Jesus is. Okay, We might think that we know, but do you truly know who he is? And I want you to see there's so many opportunities in front of me to know him. So I want you to take advantage of those there's ever a chance and we're like, I can learn who Jesus is more, I want you to know, I want to I be the first one to sign up, to jump into that opportunity, to take advantage of it. Okay. The world, obviously, is ignorant of God, who God is. Okay. That's not hard to see. But I want you to recognize, ignorance of God lives in a church, in our church. It was present in the Corinthian church. shouldn't be a surprise that it's present in the church today. And sadly, again, why I'm preaching this to you is because some of you are still babies okay, when it comes to knowing God. Obviously, all of us are guilty in some way of this because we all ought to know God more than we do. Okay? We, we should be all farther along in our understanding of him. When we think of all the blessings, all the opportunities, all the sermons, all the books, all the teachings that we've received, why are we not farther along? Okay, God has given us many blessings, and we've wasted a lot of it. Okay, so this falls on all of us. But I want you to see, ignorance is a sin. It will condemn you before God. And a lot of you have grown up in the church. Okay, you've been in the church ever since you were a little baby. Okay, I'm part of that. I've been part of a church, at least a church, for a long time. Okay, some of you have been part of our, uh, our church, specifically, for many, many years now. And yet, some of you, right, are forsaking all the opportunities that you have to know God. You're forsaking things like small group, like scripture reading, getting with other believers who will push you to grow. All these things are being wasted. You have the Bible. You have so many books that can enrich your knowledge of who God is. And yet, and yet, many of you remain still babies, infants, when it comes to your knowledge of God. You have a surface level of understanding. You might understand who He is in part, but do you know Him? Do you desire to know Him more? That's what I'm going for right here. Is I just want you to spur something in you that says, there is more. Okay? There is more in Jesus that I can explore, that I can find out, that I can discover. It is available to me in Christ, and I want you to say, I want to pursue that. Okay? I do not want to be ignorant of the things of God. I don't want it to be said of me that some of you have no knowledge of God. I don't want that to be said of me. Okay? I want to have true knowledge of who God is. Healthy Christian. Grows, okay? Healthy Christian grows. So don't make excuses why you're not growing. It's shameful, okay? It really, we'll get to here in a second, it is shameful when we're not pursuing after God. Okay, I was thinking, it is like, it is really shameful. You you say, well, I'm, I'm not a reader, it's really hard for me to memorize Scripture. Well, it's really shameful, okay, when a lot of us can quote the office better than we can quote Scripture, okay? We can quote the office and we can't quote a single verse of scripture. That is shameful, church. Okay, it takes a lot of work. I'm not saying it just comes easy. Okay, it, it may come easier to some than others, okay? But it's we all have to put in the work. And yet the work is worth it. Okay? It's worth it. It's worth it. Forgetting God is one of the most common sense. Okay, we see it throughout all of Scripture. This is not new, this is not new to the Corinthian church. This is not new to our church. Think of how many times God calls Israel to not forget the things, to remember, okay? Remember what I've done. Remember what I told you, okay? So don't forget God. Don't forget the things of God. When you wake up, pursue the things of God. Why? Last, the last little section here, our passage. Let Let me read it all. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. I say this to your shame. Paul is saying these things to the church so that they would feel shame. Is that weird to you? For some of us, this is... What is he saying? really want shame? Okay, in other words, Paul actually recognizes that it would be a benefit to the Corinthian church if if they felt shame for their sins, for being in this drowsy condition, and so he's saying, I am saying this, Paul's, Paul's says, I am telling you to wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and to do not go on sinning. I'm telling you, some of you have no knowledge of God, and I say this because I want to shame you. Okay, does that sound harsh? I say this to your shame. Why would Paul say this? Okay? It's harsh. It may sound harsh to us, right? Because we all, in a sense, in the world, okay, we, we all hate shame. We all hate shame, the idea of shame. And we as Christians often think that there is no place for shame in the church and ministries, right? What do we say, shame we say shame is not from God, so I should just ignore it. When shame comes, just pretend it's not there. It's not from God and, you know, just keep on doing what I'm doing. But if that's true, okay, if that's true, which it's not and I'll argue that it's not, why would Paul say this? Okay, why would Paul seek to shame them? Why would Paul if there is no place for shame in ministry, okay, Paul would not be saying this. Okay, in fact, Paul sees that there is a place for it. Shame, what is shame? Shame is the natural consequence of your sin. Okay, God has allowed it to happen that when you sin, you may feel shame for what you've done, and you should, because sin is awful. Sin is heinous. Okay, we should hate sin. We should be ashamed of the fact that we sin, that we've neglected our Savior. So it is God's grace that he allows you to feel shame for your sin so that you would be convicted. When you feel shame, yes, there is something wrong. Okay? There is something wrong, but it's not necessarily with the shame. Okay? Most of the time, the problem is with your heart. Something wrong. The problem is not the shame, it's with your heart. Shame, what it means is that something is amiss. Okay? Something is wrong. So don't let that shame go completely unchecked. When you ignore okay, the shame that sin brings, what are you doing? You're really just searing your conscience. Okay? You're really just searing your conscience. So don't just pass over it. When shame comes, when you feel shame for your sin, don't just pretend it's not there. Know that it's a natural consequence of your sin. Acknowledge it. Live in it for a little bit. Feel the weight of it. Okay? Feel it to an extent that you want to say, I don't want to feel that anymore. So then let shame actually be a help to you that you may not return to that sin anymore. Okay? Let that be another deterrent. We, need, right? we all love sin. We all need so many deterrents so that we may not sin. Let shame... Be another deterrent so that you may live holy and righteous lives before God. Okay, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to say this next part, but um, I think it fits well, and I think it's uh, something that we need. It's a great example that came by when, um, if you're, uh, by the way, if you're new to our church, if you're like, I don't know what he's talking about, it's probably not for you, so just like take a second, chill, and then we'll come back to everybody, okay? But I'm talking to the the whole, I'm talking right now to the men of our church, okay? I'm talking to the men of our church. This morning, I saw Dave Heist, right, send a message. He couldn't come. He uh, was trying as hard as he could to come and do setup up and tear-down. You guys all know we need to set-up. We need to do our part in the, to make our church work, right? Um, a lot of you, sometimes it seems like you just come in and you see, oh, everything just kind of, the Y sets up for us. That's so nice of them that we just come, have church, and then head out. But that's not the reality, right? There's a lot of work that comes into the worship of our Savior on Sunday mornings, Okay. And Dave hides, okay, in his, he's just reaching out, saying, hey, I need, I need help. My kid is sick. I was going to come in. He was going to come in at 7.30 in the morning, come and set everything up by himself, go back home, take care his kid to the doctor, okay? And so he says, you know, this is just not going to work. I really need help, man, okay? I really need help. He sent a message in the group, and guess what? One person replies. And who is that person? Carl, okay? Why is Carl the only one responding to a message like that? Why is Carl the only one? Carl ought not to be the one doing it. Okay, men, we need to step up. When someone needs our help, we need to say, how can I rearrange my schedule? When others are trying to serve the Lord, how can I rearrange my schedule to be able to be a service to God? Okay, this is shameful. It's shameful how, oft, how long it takes us to wake up and just to be thinking about the needs of others. And that's what I want you to see. I want you to see how can you step up. We need you. We need all of you. There are so many places of service in the church where we really could use your help. Okay? Church is such a blessing, such a gift. And some of you, like, not just are not coming early, some of you it's even hard to get here on time. Okay? That's, that's not right. Again, worship is the most precious time of our week. We ought to live like it. And so we should be ashamed that we don't prioritize. So we should be ashamed when we are able to help, but we don't even think about it. Okay? When we have, there are places of opportunity and service, and we just let them go by. I say this because it was relevant, but I am thankful for the service of many of you. So I don't want that to go, um, to be an oversight, okay? I'm, I know a lot of you are serving um, our church faithfully, and I thank you for that. Um, And yet, we can all do better, right? We can all serve God more. Not because we can. Okay, I'll get to that in a second. It's because we have a God who's at work in us. So, think about it. Sin is awful. And so if shame helps us, again, to run away from it, see it as a blessing. See the value of shame to be a help in your sanctification. And see shame as a, shame really what it is, is a gentle rebuke. It's a helpful, gentle rebuke. And I say helpful and gentle, sometimes it doesn't feel gentle and uh, gentle, right? But it's gentle and helpful because if you choose to ignore it, and those who choose to ignore it and glory in their shame will face the greater punishment of God's wrath for all eternity. So which one would you have, church? Okay, let me conclude just with a few thoughts. My hope really is that God will stir something in you, okay? Something in you to wake up to your condition. There's really no, you could hear me or anyone exhort you every morning and tell you, hey, you, you need to seek after God. Okay, we can do better. These things that just, you know, I could do this. And you might be like, yeah, I, I can do this for this week. Maybe, I, maybe I'm encouraged to do that. But I recognize, okay, that um, what I can do is very little. Okay? It is not lasting. So what I want is for you not to focus on this moment, this message particularly. I want you to be able to turn and go to the one that will help you have a lasting Okay, Have a lasting impact. Actually, the, turn to the one who can help you remain and be steadfast to the foundation that will help you actually remain walking faithfully in Christ, awake for everything he calls you to. I want you to turn to your Savior. Okay, church, I want you to turn because it's only as you experience him, it's only as you experience who he is and taste just the goodness Okay, of how good it is to know Him and walk in His ways and serve Him. It's when you do that that's going to be the lasting thing for you. Okay, a message for you on a message like this one on its own maybe it could exhort you for a couple days to be like, okay, I'm going to try to do better. But if it's avoid, devoid of Christ, then it will not last. And so what I'm saying is, don't take stock on this message. Take stock of who Christ is, and seek Him. Okay, let that be the thing that keeps you walking faithfully after Him. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord, okay? He is glorious. I don't know how else to tell you, okay? He is, he is self-sufficient. He doesn't need any of you. He doesn't need anything that we bring to him. And yet, okay, he is standing in his throne, glorious. He deserves all of our praise. And yet, okay, he didn't show apathy towards you, right? Instead, he showed his love for you. He sent Jesus. Jesus didn't show apathy towards you, okay? He deserved all of the praise of all the people that he was around. He deserved them to bow down to him in that moment and worship him. And they, he was not, you know, the people rejected him. He did not get that. And instead of just turning in apathy, oh, things are not turning my way, he gave his life for his people. He showed his love on the cross. Okay, when you think that it's hard to make time for God, okay, when it's hard to make time for God, that you just cannot fit it in your schedule, there's so many things fighting for your attention. Remember, Christ gave everything for you. Everything. His own life, his blood was shed on the cross for you. Can you really not make time for him? Don't slack in this church. Don't slack. Pursue him in his word, through prayer, and with your fellow brothers and sisters. And finally, I was alluding to this earlier, that we're all going to fail in this. Okay, The reason why I'm saying is because in some sense we've all failed here. We found ourselves in this moment, and this is hopefully a wake-up call to say, okay, Let's seek the Lord together. Let's seek the Lord together. And yet, it's going to be another month, and we're going to need another wake-up call, okay? And I'm not going to come and preach the same message again. You know, that's not going to be the thing that's going to... But what I want you to do is remember, okay, I'm in this state of indifference. I'm not caring about the things of God. What do I need to do? I need to seek after the Lord. I need to learn who God is, meditate on who he is. And so I want you to be encouraged, okay? You are going to fail. So what do you do when you fail? You don't despair, okay? That is our temptation. Say, oh, so many things are going wrong against me. Turn. Maybe let, maybe this pair for a couple of seconds, but then turn, okay, and be encouraged. How can you be encouraged? Get up when you fail, because you cannot do this on your own. You cannot do this on your own, but when you recognize that the God that we talked about, the God that Jonathan Edwards described as a lion and a lamb, the one who's been before, there is no limit to this God. He is the one who's at work in you, okay? If you are in Christ, If you're a believer, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit of God dwells in each of us. Okay, and when you know you cannot do this on your own, you're right. But it is God who's at work in you. And so trust in him as you fail. Let's pray. Actually, someone go get Daniel if you don't mind. Thanks. Father, May we see and know your greatness. Father, your glories know no end. You are the God who made everything from the very beginning. You have a good purpose and a good plan, and you've accomplished it all. And you will continue to accomplish your purposes, Father. Father, as we think of your greatness and how good and great of a God we are, I pray that you would humble us. Lord, may we not see ourselves so highly. May we be humble and recognize that we depend on you for everything, for every breath, every single day. Lord, we would not wake up if it wasn't for you. Help us to see ourselves as lowly and wretched in comparison with you, Father. And just help us to see and recognize our great need for you. Lord, help us to wake up. Help us to stop sinning. Help us to feel the weight of of the sin and the shame that it brings. Lord, that we wouldn't live there, Father, that it would help us to turn in repentance to you. Father, thank you that we can, in fact, know you, that we can grow. Um, And so I pray, Lord, that we as a church would take this seriously, that we would ask for help when we need to. Or maybe what some of us need to do is just um, admit, Lord, that we are walking in sin and uh, that we need somebody, somebody to walk alongside of us. And so, Father, if that's the case, Lord, would you spur us on to do that? I pray for your help. Lord, we cannot do this apart from you, but we know that you are a work in us and you will accomplish your good purposes in your people. And so, Father, in our need of you, may we come and seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.